0: Welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast. I'm here with a very special guest. We are doing a special episode with Eva Galperin, who is the Director of Cybersecurity for the Electronic Frontier Foundation, aka the EFF. And not only is she the Director of Cybersecurity for the EFF, she was also recognized by Fast Company on their list of 100 Most Creative People of 2019. Uh, nothing to bark at there. Welcome, Eva. Thank you so much. So, uh, again, I like to use these special episodes to just get to know cool people in cybersecurity. Clearly, you're a cool cat in cybersecurity that I think everybody should know about. How did you get into all of this is always the first question I ask.
1: Oh, like so many geeks, I blame my parents.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, they're, they're the source for most of our uh, choices, aren't they?
1: Yes, uh, I I was raised by geeks. Uh, my my mom uh, works in biotech, and uh, my father uh, was an uh, engineer. And so I always had this stuff lying around the house. And I thought that I was making all of my own choices, but it was probably not a coincidence that there <laughs> were a lot of sort of low-level cryptography books just lying just... around the house where I might <laughs> find them. Yeah. So as a result, I was a very early user of the internet. I was uh, I was 12 on the internet before the web existed.
0: Ooh! Uh, so before kind of, AOL and all and all that jazz.
1: AOL existed at the time. Um, I, I think the actual conversation essentially went, "Hey dad, I'd like a Prodigy account." Followed by, <laughs> "Prodigy sucks, daughter." <laughs> <laughs> Prodigy. Yes. Let me show you Telnet. And uh, all the you know all the newsreaders and Gopher and all <laughs> kinds of other things, all the things that would eventually become the internet.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, I love it. So cryptography was your way in. Yeah, I,
1: I really loved cryptography and puzzles. And um, because I was a very early user of the internet, I had a, a good idea not just from a you know a user end, but also from the administration end how it all worked. So my first jobs um, out of uh, out of high school and in late high school were all in tech. Wow. Um, I, yeah, I worked I.T. I worked as a admin, uh I did network administration um, because if you're you know, 17 and uh, you know what a net mask is, uh, you could get a job. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not sure that's the case anymore. Oh, uh,
0: interesting why do you say that
1: oh it's it just seems like such common knowledge now surely you can't you can't have a hard time finding
0: people who I'm showing my own technical knowledge there um uh, random question because we're mm-hmm. taking a walk down memory lane your favorite retro well at the time it wasn't retro but your favorite search engine of the 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 dawn of the internet
1: i actually remember discovering google <laughs>
0: Oh, look at you.
1: Yes. I remember a friend of mine uh, somewhere in like the mid-90s telling me, oh, there's this search engine; and it doesn't have ads all over it. Oh. She told me about two very important things, which were Google and eBay.
0: (laughs) eBay is the second most important, isn't it?
1: Yes. And I used (laughs) eBay to buy vintage clothes. (laughs) There we go. And I used Google because there were no ads on it. (laughs)
0: And gosh, they have stuck. They have definitely stood the test of time, have they not? Google and eBay. To think they are, they are still around. Yes, they are still around. All right. So you got into cryptography. You started working in IT um, and as a sysadmin. So clearly you were in the trenches. How did you get to EFF? What What was your journey like on that road? Well,
1: first the economy exploded. Oh, Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. that'll do it. So. I dropped out of college during the dot-com boom.
0: You did?
1: Oh, yeah. And I told my parents, like, oh, don't worry. Uh, When the economy collapses, I will go back to school. And (laughs) And
0: it'll be much cheaper.
1: Yeah. uh, And I would like you to know that I was lying. (laughs) And my parents knew that I was lying.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But after the economy collapsed, I went back to school. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so you you held up your promise.
1: It was, uh, there was nothing else to do. No one else <laughs> I knew had
0: <how> a job. <laughs> I mean, there's worse ways to spend your time, is there not?
1: Yes. So I went back to school and I got a degree in uh, political science and international relations. I, I was uh, president of the uh, pre-law club. Oh, look at uh you. And my, uh, my intention was to go to law school after
0: oh, that. That was going to be my next question.
1: Yes. I was, I was going to be a lawyer. Uh, I, I was going to go to law school, and I was all set to go to law school in either New York or Chicago. And uh, my boyfriend at the time said, I've just started work at this company called Twitter. Never heard of it. And I think it's going to go somewhere. <laughs> and so we agreed that rather than moving to uh, the Midwest or the East Coast, that I would give him a year oh. uh, to just see how that all worked out and I would put off law school. So I gave him a year, and then I gave him another year, and then I gave him another year, and there I was at EFF the whole time.
0: (laughs) That's a fantastic story. Yeah, Twitter, who would have thought? uh, Several (laughs) years later. Um, That is fantastic. So tell... if. For listeners who don't know what the EFF does, tell us a little bit about the EFF, what they do, uh, what the values and what the work is behind that foundation.
1: Sure. Uh, So the Electronic Frontier Foundation is a digital civil liberties organization. We were founded in 1990, right around the time I was first flailing around on the the fledgling internet. Uh, No, I was not there at the time. (laughs) I'm not quite that old.
0: (laughs) No, 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 no.
1: No, no, no. I'm not quite justified in ancient, but I have plans. Uh, So, (laughs) uh, yeah, so we're a digital civil liberties organization. Our job is to make sure that when you go online, your rights come with you. Uh, One of the things that's really changed over the last 30 years that I find really interesting uh, working at the EFF is that we started out as this sort of niche organization, as those people who did Internet law and The thing that's really changed over time is that all of our lives are on the internet. All of our lives are increasingly digital. There is less of a distinction between your life online, your digital life, and your quote-unquote real life. Uh, And as digital uh, communications has become more central to every aspect of our lives, including our privacy and our security, uh, EFF's issues have really moved into the mainstream. So we have Grown a lot in the uh, many years that I have worked for them. I'm just going <laughs> to gloss over. <laughs> in the in the years since 2007, when I came to at, <laughs> at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, we've grown a lot, and uh, we're definitely an international organization with a global view of uh, how we can help everyone, not just you know white American guys in Santa Clara. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh i love that i love that 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 is what you guys do i think privacy is something that it it like you said it's definitely come to the forefront for i think uh i i think society at large but it's not quite as big a problem or uh, should i should say as um i don't think people are still as aware of privacy issues as they should be the average person. So it's fantastic that you guys are doing that work and making and building awareness around privacy issues and privacy laws because um, it can't just be uh, we can't just rely simply on uh, Snowden for uh, this kind of awareness. So
1: yeah, well, Snowden was actually inspired by the Electronic Frontier. Uh,
0: <laughs> See, there you go. Yeah, when Snowden made
1: his uh, his sort of coming out video. Uh, in which he introduced himself to the world. He did it with a laptop with uh, with two stickers on it, and one of them was an EFF
0: sticker. No way. <laughs> I
1: love that. The very first document that he leaked uh, was a Verizon document that became the cornerstone of our case against the NSA. We'd been suing AT&T, for years and years and years at that point over the their cooperation with the NSA's Warrantless Wiretapping Program. Uh, but the information that came out of the Snowden leaks, the very first one, the, the Verizon document, uh, was what allowed us to have sort of standing uh, to sue the NSA. And I think that lawsuit is still going. Wow. Uh, and yeah, uh the, the wheels of justice move very, very, very slowly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, more like the brakes of justice. Um so <laughs> <laughs> that is so, a great summary. Um, I want to move into a little bit about a topic that you're very passionate about: stalkerware, um, uh, or I think otherwise known as uh, spouseware. Are those two the mm-hmm. same thing? Are they, yeah, you it's say? pretty much the same thing. Okay, I wasn't yeah. sure if there was like a like a technical definition, but yes, yes it checks to see if you're married before. We, uh... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Like, uh, okay, I get it. Stalkerware, I'm single. Okay, you don't need to point (laughs) that out. Uh, there's Once nothing more, wrong. The with software being is judging us yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong with being single. Live your life. Um, so I watched your TED talk and I thought it was fantastic. Of course, and one of the things you said is full access to a person's phone is the next best thing to full access to a person's mind. Um, for someone who hasn't yet watched your TED talk, uh, can you talk a little bit about that and what you mean by that?
1: So you keep a lot of very sensitive information on your cell phone, and uh, often it is information that you don't even realize is there, you don't really think about. Uh, So a person's cell phone gives away uh, not just how to contact them, but also everybody in their contact list, so everybody that they talk to, Mm -hmm. um, all um, all of their conversations, all of their social media accounts, the contents of those accounts, their email accounts. The emails that they send and receive, the text messages that they send and receive, the end to end encrypted messages that they receive because this is the end. Uh, and you, you know, end to end encrypted messaging uh, protects, your, uh, protects your data from a third party, but it does not protect you from the endpoint because mm-hmm. otherwise at the end you have to decrypt the message. Uh, all of your passwords are, are there. Uh, your location is tracked. You're essentially keeping a tracking device in your pocket. Uh, all of your photos are there, your selfies, uh, your, your nudes, <laughs> anything else. <laughs> oh, God. So, uh, yeah, so it's incredibly revealing. Uh, you can learn a lot about somebody just by looking at uh, what they're searching on on the Internet. Mm-hmm. You can learn a lot about somebody's worries from looking at their search history.
0: Most definitely mine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, You can learn a lot from somebody's browsing history, from what they're ordering. Uh, It's incredibly revealing. And that's one of the reasons why phones are such a juicy target, not just uh, for governments and uh, sort of government actors and law enforcement, which is how I got started in this field, but uh, also for uh, people who are abusive in relationships, uh, who think that it's okay to go spy on their spouse's phone because mm. because uh, they're being mean, or they think they're cheating, or right. they you know think they're lying about where they've been, and rather than have a conversation about it, they decide that uh, Nah, I'm just going to install this uh, this software on uh, on their device, and that's abusive.
0: Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it most definitely uh, concur on that in that sense. So. So stalkerware, like if I am an average person, uh, you know, I assume it's as easy as me having a phone, someone knowing the passcode to my phone or me being crazy and not having a passcode to begin with on my phone. And they just go in, uh, they can download the software from like the App Store, Google Store or Play Store. I mean, is it as simple as that? And then they clearly have to have access to the passwords for the App Store or what have you. Is it as simple as that? For them to download stockerware into my phone,
1: it's both slightly more complicated and slightly more simple. Okay, uh, in the sense that uh, frequently these uh, these apps are sideloaded, so less of an issue for uh, for Apple products than it is for uh, for Android because you can have other uh, other stores mm-hmm. in Android. Uh, often you just download a uh, a PKG file and uh, you install it from there. Uh, which is usually usually just hosted on, on some random website. Uh, you do usually need the uh, person's pass, password for their phone in order uh, in order to install it. Um, but it turns out that uh, there are two things that abusers very often have access to uh, when they live with the people that they're abusing and that is physical access to their phone and their passwords. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is actually really, really common. Uh, so this is access that they frequently have. Uh, it is easy to install software on, uh, on someone's phone. The software then hides, so they cannot see that the software has been installed on their phone. Right. And then the abuser usually goes to a portal which is run by the uh, by this, uh, software company. Uh, that gives them access to the information which is coming off the phone.
0: And it can be anything, right? It can be my text messages. Uh, it, I assume it has like key loggers and stuff like that. So it could even get my passwords to other, you know, apps or websites that I'm using through my phone. Yes. Yikes. Uh, different uh, different stalkerware has
1: different capabilities and they're sort of playing this endless cat and mouse game with uh, with Google and uh, and with Apple. So the capabilities differ over time. But for the most part, like any anything that's on your phone is
0: game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to rewind for one minute because I want to. I know you. There's an interesting story for how you got into this in the first place. Can you give a little bit of a uh, background on that? Not necessar- you don't necessarily have to give the full story, but how did you get right. into this passion <laughs> for fighting stalkerware?
1: Well, uh, I started out uh, fighting APTs. I was really interested in uh, governments and law enforcement who were targeting journalists and activists. Uh, and, you know, people in vulnerable populations. And one of the things that I was doing was I was traveling all over the world and I was training uh, people who were journalists and activists and you know, kind of how to avoid this type of surveillance. I was writing reports about it. Uh, And it turns out that one of the people with whom I was writing several years' worth of reports uh, was outed as a serial rapist. Mm. And uh, I read a... Uh, interview with uh, one of his victims. And what really struck me, what really, really upset me about it was how scared she was mm-hmm. and how scared uh, all all of the other sources in, uh, in that interview were and how convinced they were that this guy was going to hack their phones and yeah. hack their computers. Uh, and they were really, really frightened. And so... I just really didn't want anyone to be, to ever be that frightened again, and so I, I tweeted. Uh, and
0: <laughs> speaking of Twitter, <laughs> yes,
1: years ago I tweeted a thing. <laughs> And it was essentially that if you were a woman who had been sexually assaulted by a hacker then, uh, and you were worried about whether or not your device was compromised, that you could get in touch with me and I would make sure that you got, you know, sort of a full forensic analysis. Wow. Um, because that was my understanding of how, you know, of how the problem looked. Uh, much like my experience working with journalists and activists, that wasn't the problem. Mm. <laughs> Almost everything that came to me was uh, was account compromise. Wow. I. Yeah. So the good news is that we have uh, we have solutions for account compromise. You you know you use a password manager, you use two FA, you change all of your passwords. You've got a general idea of like how to stay on top of accounts. Um, but it turned out that it was really difficult to figure out whether or not your um, your device had been compromised. And one of the reasons for that was that AV software was not very good at detecting stalkerware. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that was because the, uh, the AV companies were kind of uh, reticent to start classing stalkerware as, uh, as deliberately malicious in all cases. Right. Um, and so that's one of the things that I really uh, decided that I was going to change and one of the things that I did was I helped found an organization called the Coalition Against Stalkerware. It includes a bunch of AV companies, mm-hmm. <laughs> and one of the things that those AV companies do is they uh, share their um, they share their information about stalkerware, so it's easier for uh, for for uh, every company to detect it. Yes, and uh, the detection appears to have gone up. Use of stalkerware also appears to have gone up. Oh, Um, yeah, which is kind of depressing. And uh, so, (laughs) yep, (laughs) yeah. One of the other things I'm doing through the Coalition Against Stalkerware is uh, trying to make sure that there is, uh, you know, sort of uh, good and solid research being done about uh, about stalkerware about. Who is using it and how many people are using yeah. it? And as is it going up? Is it going down? Is it going sideways? We don't know because uh, until recently, uh, this stuff was simply not being measured particularly well. Uh, so once, once we have that information, right. <laughs> we, we can use it uh, to see whether or not the things that we're doing are, uh, are being effective against, uh, against stalkerware.
0: I mean, those are huge accomplishments, though, right? To get to encourage antivirus companies to finally be, well, better classify or classify stalkerware to begin with as um, malicious, which is, I'm sure, going to be a huge, going to have a huge effect and ripple effect. But I wonder, is it kind of like whack-a-mole? So I'm very limited in my knowledge with stalkerware, but is it kind of like whack-a-mole? Because it seems like they have these like shell brands that they use and they tend to change. Uh, I don't know what the day, it seems like uh, in terms of branding and it's hard to kind of keep track of like what, you know, what, what's the top stockerware app today? Um, is that oh, the there case?
1: Are, there are six or seven companies that, uh, that regularly produce these products and then they are um, sort of sold on, White label and then marketed under a whole bunch of different names. Yes. So the names change all the time, and this is one of the reasons why when people come to me and they say, "Well, can you name the worst offenders? Can you name the worst stalkerware products?" I'm like, "They'll have different names tomorrow." Right. Yeah. Uh, that part doesn't matter. Uh, what matters are these like five or six companies that uh,
0: that keep making the stalkerware and uh, detecting their work. Good to know. I had no idea that it just came down to six or seven companies. It feels like a million when you look online, but it probably, like we were talking about, it's just a billion shell uh, branded, uh, you know, different brands for these different apps. So, mm-hmm. um Funny enough, uh, this is the Naked Security Podcast, as the listeners are aware, I hope you know. Uh, We've reported over the years about stalkerware apps um, and how, obviously, they're a dangerous invasion of both privacy and ethics and uh, companies um, that are making these apps. Uh, They don't seem... The funniest part is that the companies making these apps don't seem to uh, hold on to the data that they are collecting. So there's, like, another added... There's another added danger with this whole They're thing. They're
1: not even good at making stalkerware. <laughs> <Right? laughs>
0: Which I shouldn't laugh but it's like it, it's like a comedy of errors to think that you have a soccer app that's already very dangerous but then to but then to know that the they're not even keeping the data that they're collecting under wrapped safe. So your data could be, I don't know, on these like unprotected servers, et cetera, et cetera. I've looked
1: through many data dumps <sighs> of uh of companies that, uh, that did not do a good job of protecting their stalkerware. Uh, and it gave me a much better idea of what kind of people are using stalkerware and what kind of information they're getting off of it. It was
0: very oh, Positive for you, then there's the silver yeah, so, lining.
1: Good news, everyone! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, the, uh, the FTC has taken action against a company called Retina X, which had a, a whole bunch of uh, very serious security problems uh, about a year or two ago. And uh, it's my understanding that they're interested in, uh, in taking more
0: actions against stalkerware companies. So I'm really excited about that. That's fantastic um, news. Yes. Um, do you? So if I'm the average person and I suspect that there might be stalkerware on my phone, how can I confirm that if I, if I can't even find the app?
1: Usually start by just downloading uh, some antivirus program. I am not going to recommend one antivirus over another. Um, because honestly, uh, there, I don't feel that there is a significant amount of difference between them uh, at this time. Mm. So just mm-hmm. find find the thing that works. Probably the thing which is free, uh, <laughs> which is easy to download. Uh, run a check on the you know sort of highest settings and see whether or not uh, your uh, your antivirus picks anything up. And uh, if my work the coalition has been successful, uh, it should be detected as a potentially unwanted app uh,
0: that you can then go ahead and delete. Uh, quick plug, <laughs> Sophos <laughs> does have a free app <laughs> that you can download uh, from the Google Play Store and the Apple Store, and it does search for these very things. It searches for PUA's, as you just mentioned. Um, so... When watching your TED talk, you gave some advice for people protecting against it. You said use passwords, use strong security answers, use the strongest form of 2FA. It's funny because all we do on this podcast for every single week is say those three things. (laughs) That's That's all. Legitimately, yep. all we ever say. Um, Take your security updates. <laughs> yes, exactly. Eat your vegetables. Eat your vegetables. Uh, uh, floss twice a day. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so used passwords, use strong security answers. You know, when you go to log in and it doesn't recognize you. So it's not like uh, clearly he can name the, he or she can name the middle school that I went to or whatever uh, crazy. Uh, security, quote-unquote, answer they ask for um, and the strongest form of two-factor authentication. Is there any other advice that you would tack on to that since you gave this TED Talk or anything that's slightly different?
1: I think these are really the most important things. Uh, One thing that I have learned over the years of sort of walking people through this advice is that uh, switching to a password manager is very, very daunting. For most people, because they're trying, they, they think that they need to move all of their accounts over at the same time, mm-hmm. and that's simply not true. Oh yeah. Uh, what I usually recommend to people is uh, installing a password manager, uh, putting a you know long safe passphrase on it, and then every time you log into a new account, use that opportunity to change your password and and uh, add it to your password manager. Eventually, you will have touched everything.
0: I love password managers. Ever since I started using one, I have not turned back. I have absolutely no regrets. If you are not using a password manager, you should try one out. A lot of them are free, and they're great. And I will be like Eva, and I will not recommend a specific vendor. They're out there. You can find them, and uh, they're legitimate. So get a password manager, guys. Take this woman's advice. Um, Now that we are kind of, uh, you know, we are plugged in, we are connected all the time, does someone need to have physical access to a phone, my phone, in order to install stalkerware?
1: There are ways to install stalkerware that do not involve physical access, um, but they change over time because they depend very much on what the current vulnerabilities are on the version of the software of the, of the phone uh-huh. that you have. Uh-huh. Uh, so that changes uh, with with time. Yeah, with uh, the wind. <laughs> yeah. So basically, you just have to, uh, if you if you have an iPhone, you want to be keeping track of, uh, you know, sort of uh, untethered jailbreaks, mm-hmm. because you need to jailbreak the phone in order to have this uh, in order to have this kind of access. Anything that allows you to secretly jailbreak the phone uh, is something that will give you uh, remote access to uh, to install this kind of software. And uh, for iOS, you're looking for, not for iOS, for, an- for Android, you're looking for <laughs> pretty much the same thing. Uh, and of course, there's a much wider variety of, uh, of Android products on the market, right. uh, which means that you know, some of them are secure, some of them are not secure, some of them end up having vulnerabilities, some of them don't. Some of them get deprecated, some of them get so old that they are no longer supported. Uh, and that's when a lot of their you know, vulnerabilities are exploited. So one of the things that I would also recommend for people to watch out for mm. are old Android phones that are <laughs> you know, no longer getting updates. Yeah. If you don't have the latest security update, you are are not benefiting from uh, from Google's security team. Mm-hmm. They employ yeah. a lot of people who work very hard to make sure that uh, that your Android is secure. But if you don't take your updates or if you don't get your updates because your phone is so old and your network doesn't do this anymore for your uh, for for your phone, then you're not getting that benefit and you're probably just a giant
0: pile of vulnerabilities. Oof. I don't want to be a pile of anything. I'm going to change it up a little bit. We've talked mm-hmm. a lot of business and I would like to get into a little bit more personal or fun questions. So... First question that I have for you What is something that you've done that you're super proud of, whether it's career wise or otherwise?
1: That's kind of a hard question to answer right now. I mean, I was really excited to do a TED talk because now I can finish every declarative sentence with thank you for coming to my TED talk.
0: (laughs) And actually, uh, can uh, hold up that end. Yep.
1: Yeah. Uh, I am still waiting for my, you know, fancy Vogue. You know, cover shoot Ooh. with uh, with gowns. Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, this is this is an ongoing joke that I have with a whole bunch of other women in the industry. That one day we will get ourselves like a, you know, one of those amazing Annie Leibovitz covers. Yes. In which we are artfully draped over furniture and yes. wearing very expensive gowns. I
0: want this uh, today. Yes. Vogue. <laughs> Someone from yeah. Vogue. Get listening. on this. You better get on this. <laughs> I need this in my life. Okay, great. Yes, yeah. we want think, a Vogue uh, cover
1: unless unless we have a cover with like me and Katie Masuris and Rachel Rachel Toback like what are what are you even doing? What are you doing? Yes. Uh, so it's important to have goals. <laughs> I'm an aerialist. I do you uh, are? I do rope and tissue. Yeah.
0: What?
1: Uh, yeah, I used to perform, but you when I was did? on the road all the time. I didn't have time.
0: Is this a scoop? Uh, is this a naked security scoop?
1: <laughs> no, I think it's I think I put it in my EFF bio that this is, is what i like to do when I'm not, you know. I
0: cannot uh, believe I missed yeah. that. Yeah. I am ashamed of myself, but I am also very delighted by the surprise. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So tell me more.
1: Well, uh, I was I was a gymnast when I was a kid, and I took you know lots of dance classes and stuff. Uh, but I was I was never going to be a professional acrobat. I was never going to be a professional gymnast. I was never going to be like amazing at it. And because I, I was you know, one of those smart kids, I couldn't stand the idea of doing something I wasn't immediately good at. <laughs> I didn't know how to be bad at something, which is a stage you have to go through in order to learn if you are a normal human
0: being. This is, this is the truth.
1: So I spent a lot of my mid and late 20s just learning to be bad at things. Uh, oh, I, I, you know, I walked into the circus school and I said, like, I have no calluses on my hands. Uh, <laughs> my back hurts. Uh, I <laughs> I have only this vague memory of how to move my body. Uh, <laughs> and I'm never going to be a professional aerialist. Let's go.
0: I love this.
1: And uh, I just kept doing it and kept getting better. And now I am thoroughly mediocre. Uh, thoroughly
0: mediocre you all that i have ever wanted (laughs) (laughs) i want to be thoroughly mediocre at the trapeze aerial arts this is this is this is life goals right here these these are goals i love (laughs) that i'm so thoroughly jealous so like like so what kind of aerial arts would you do i know there's different kinds right like Mm -hmm. there's like the ladies with the ribbons and they 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 throw themselves i do the thing with the ribbons those are silks
1: um and
0: uh, (laughs) you yeah. see I don't know the terminology
1: no, this, is, this is fine. Uh, and also I do rope, which is the same thing only it's a you know, cord lease uh, the rope which oh. is hanging from the ceiling. So I do that. Um, I've done a little bit of trapeze but uh, mostly as sort of cross training and I've done like a little bit of hoop also as, uh, as cross training. Uh, but for the most part I like my uh, I like my vertical apparatuses
0: and, and they're
1: really really great.
0: Uh, okay, this is what I love about doing these episodes is because I learn so much about these people that uh, that I think make you guys even more fascinating. This has just made my week uh, learning this about you. You just knocked out my second question, which was when you're not working, what are you doing for fun? However, I will slightly change the question to: Now that you are not in your circus gym, what are you doing for fun?
1: I'm training at home a lot. Um, <laughs> was oh, like, so I'm still I doing should. It. Yeah. Oh, because I'm terrified that if I stop, this and I lose the muscle and flexibility that I will never be able to start up again. Yeah. Because I'm I am not 17, people. So <laughs> As we've said before, so she's am, not
0: she's not ancient, but she's also not 17.
1: Yes. I, I am I'm am somewhere in the middle. The, the very vague, vague middle. You don't need um, to know. Interesting note, uh, uh, Katie Masuris has also done some aerial circus arts. What? Uh, there is, yeah, she did a keynote for KiwiCon several years ago. and oh, which and she, she danced
0: in, right? Or she did like a whole... Yes, she yes. was in a hoop. Ugh. Well, you guys are living your best Lady Gaga life, and what am I doing? <laughs> Not that.
1: You <laughs> seriously Lady Gaga it up. Uh, <laughs> I need to... Uh, <laughs>
0: What have I been doing with my life? Well, now I know what I'm signing up for.
1: All singing, all dancing cybersecurity. That's
0: how we're going to do it. And she won an award for that, didn't she? Like yes, Or yes, some shout out? She won a pony. Yes, a pony. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So that's fantastic. Wow. These women, not only are they killing it with cybersecurity and, like, you know, making us aware of all the faults in cybersecurity, but they're also aerial artistes. Who would have thunk? So you're still doing your workouts at home. How does that work out? You have? Do you literally have like ropes hanging from your ceiling?
1: No, I have to do everything on the ground, which uh, means that my shoulders are uh, not particularly happy with me. Uh, I do a lot of handstands, like just oh, hand balance for a couple of minutes, um, a because <laughs> that's <laughs> yes. Oh. Uh, and and the nice thing is that when you're doing this stuff, when you're 30 feet up in the air and you're upside down and you're spinning, you cannot think about work. Yeah. You absolutely cannot think about work. Uh, And so I really like having at least one hobby where I am so busy and so in my body that I can't worry about the internet.
0: (laughs) Yes.
1: Because let me tell you, the rest of the time, I worry about the internet. (laughs) I am that doom scroller.
0: (laughs) Um, I think anybody who works in cybersecurity is just with each passing day working in cybersecurity. My paranoia has only gotten worse. So, what is the best advice you've ever received?
1: And this is this is actually really common advice. Uh, there there is a statistic that shows that women apply uh, only for jobs that they're completely qualified for, <sighs> and uh, that men do not. And men don't think that they need to be completely qualified in order to. Uh, in order to apply for a job, in order to apply for a position, in order to ask for some sort of privilege. Women wait until they check all the boxes mm. and uh, and men do not. So uh, while women are sitting around waiting for the perfect job, some mediocre white man is showing up going, eh, I can do like, you know, 50% of this <laughs> and getting the job. Uh, and so the best advice that I ever received was uh, just try to have the confidence of a mediocre white man
0: that is the best advice. So I walk into things very, very confidently. I think that is something I've discovered myself early on in my career. Is that the people who get ahead are the people who ask for it. If you think that you are probably not qualified for it, you probably are because you're thinking about whether or not you're qualified for it. So you're doing, a, you're applying a lot more thought process to it than probably.
1: There's someone else applying who is not qualified. I assure you. And they're not thinking about it. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes, I love that advice. And I second that. And my last question, I believe, who is someone who's helped you get to the place you are in your career? Someone that you'd like to thank that you think helped you become the leader that you are in cybersecurity?
1: Oh, I owe my entire career to Jillian York. Uh, Jillian York uh, worked for the Berkman Center. Uh, and then came to work for EFF as their director of uh, international free speech. And uh, I went to work for her at EFF and she was the first person who really believed in me, uh, who treated me not like somebody who worked for her, but like a peer. Mm. Uh, we worked together on a whole bunch of the the real names issues, on a bunch of the you know, social media platform issues. And... Uh, She's also the reason why I was able to start doing uh, the sort of security and infosec stuff at EFF, because um, what we did was we took a lot of the work that we saw and we just split it up between the two of us. And I ended up with the technical end of it because I had a technical background. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had lots of stories about uh, Syria blocking, uh, you know, blocking certain sites in, you know, in Syria, uh, we had lots of reports about, uh, you know, uh, countries uh, sort of faking SSL certificates in order to, mm. uh, in order to man in the middle, uh, the HTTPS traffic. Mm-hmm. And uh, while we were taking all of those apart, I was the person with the expertise. And that was really what got me started on the road to doing InfoSec stuff at EFF.
0: That is awesome. I've had the best time talking to you I feel like I've learned so much and I'm gonna start googling aerial art classes <laughs> do it do it so uh, you've influenced me a, a multitude of ways today <laughs> um, I, I really want just like infosec aerialists everywhere this so is the, this is the LinkedIn group that need that needs to happen um, <laughs> all four of you. So uh, look, you got to start somewhere. If people want to follow you and follow your work, how can they find you? Uh, There are a couple of
1: different ways. Uh, The most common way of finding me is on Twitter. Never heard of it. I am yeah, a small, small company that never went anywhere. Uh, And I am Evaside on Twitter. Uh, I also blog on the EFF blog, which you can find at www.eff.org and boy do i do a lot of
0: podcasts. Ooh, yes. So I am ubiquitous on podcasts. Yes, I love it. I love a good podcast. So, thank you again so much Eva for spending your time with us and I listeners, I will leave links to her TED Talk and um, her blog and her Twitter so you guys can find her and until next time, stay secure.